0: All right, why don't we all go ahead and stand for the reading of the word. I'm going to read the same passage. I'm just going to read it a little bit slower. (laughs) Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition According to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ, for in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you that you've gifted us with the ability to to know it, to memorize it, to meditate on it. It is uh, it is truly a blessing. And Lord, we agree that um, the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are, are found in your son, Jesus. We thank you, God, that by your word, we can make sure not to be taken captive by human tradition or even the elemental spirits of the world. We thank you that we can stand firm. Lord, bless the preaching of your word today. We want to hear from you. We thank you for our brothers and sisters Uh, Throughout the world, we thank especially of our brothers and sisters in Belize who are worshiping you even now, who are hearing your word preached. We pray for them, for Libertad Baptists, for Elohim Community Church, for Koinonia Ministries. We thank you and many other churches there that are doing your work and are endeavoring, Lord, to glorify you and to be faithful. Lord, bless our time now as we go on and continue to be with us. We pray this with the authority you give us in Jesus. Amen. All right, in my last sermon, I talked about receiving Jesus. So I really focused on verse 6, the very first part where it says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord. And we looked at each of those words and kind of broke it down Jesus, Christ, Lord. So the first clause. if you think about it, that little clause in verse 6, it really restates the primary theological point of what Paul has said so far. Christ Jesus is Lord. And then with the second clause, so walk in him, we see a summary of the commands that are going to follow. So really for the next, well, you could really say till the end of the book, Um, but definitely for the next uh, chapter or so, we see all these different commands that are given to believers, and it's really summarized with these three words, walk in Him. And here's the thing, think about it for a moment, you're saved, you've received Jesus, you've been covered by the blood of the Lamb, and then the question is, so now what? And we're given the answer, walk in Him. So here's the thing that's interesting, This is the first command so far in the entire book that we've gotten up to. So we've covered all of chapter one and we've got a few verses into chapter two, and this is actually the first command that we're given. Well, why is that? Because the way I like to say it is the indicatives precede the imperatives, meaning we need to understand who we are, before we know what we do. And we need to understand who God is before we know what we're supposed to do. So we're always, when when you read the scriptures, a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times, especially in the epistles, uh, it takes a lot of time to make sure we understand who we are and who God is. So God always establishes who he is before telling us what to do. And he always establishes um, who you are and who we are before telling us what to do. Why? Because obedience is founded in our right standing with God. If we don't have a right relationship with God, it, it's, it's not possible to please Him. Think about the first and greatest commandment. What is it? Right. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Can the unbeliever do that? No. So They're guilty right from the beginning. So in order to be able to obey the Lord, we have to be in right relationship with him. We have to be adopted into his family. We have to be repenting of our sins and trusting in him and walking with him. So he always establishes who he is before telling us what to do, and then he always establishes who we are. He wants us, wherever wherever we're going to walk from obedience, he wants it to be from a place of our right relationship with him. Primarily, he wants us to see us as a child of God. Adopted into his family. Why? Because obedience is founded in our right standing with God. Because of who we are, we can obey. Because of who we are, we can obey. And because of who he is, we can obey. And, and what you see is, um, Paul can talk about theology for a long time, but he can't talk too long without going into application, and so that's what we're getting into here. What does that look like? What does it look like to walk in him? What does it look like to to walk with Jesus? Well, think of buying a home and owning it. I mean, you buy it. That's the initial phase, right? The house is yours, but now what? What happens once you you buy the house? I mean, anyone who's owned a house... You probably remember the first house you bought. Maybe you're still living in it. But you were excited. You're like, never owned a home before. And you buy that home. And then you get it. And then what slowly happens over time? It's, I mean, different things start to go wrong, right? All sorts of things start to go wrong. So, what do you have to do with that house? You got to maintain it, right? Yeah, you got to fix everything. <clears throat> so, there's upkeep. Think about it. There's upkeep. Just to keep the house in its current condition, you have to do upkeep. And then you you might even decide to do some upgrades, right? Well, think about it. You have the initial salvation. You have your initial salvation. I mean, you've bought the house, so to speak, but there's upkeep. And you can't just buy the house and walk away. I mean, imagine if someone just bought a house and walked away. No, there is upkeep required. So you're concerned about the home. You should be, meaning you're concerned about your soul and where it's at. And you have salvation from Jesus. Jesus is Lord. And now we're going to learn what it means and what is explained here to walk with him, walking it out. Well, what do you learn? Well, it's just like the house. You, You learn That the house needs a lot of work, that our souls need a lot of tending to. And you learn there's rooms in the house that just, uh, some of them just need to be torn out, right? And there are parts that need a lot of attention. But what do you do? I mean, you get to work. You start working on those things. You start repairing the, the holes in the drywall. You think about replacing the windows. You put a new coat of paint on the walls. And what happens as you're doing that? Well, sometimes you get scraped up. You get uh, bumps along the way. There's challenges that can lie ahead. You peel back the drywall, and then what do you see sometimes? Termites. We did in our current house. So what do you do? You address the issues. Well, what happens when you don't walk it out? Well, verse 8 shows us what can happen. We can be taken captive by philosophy and empty deceit. That's why Paul says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. So you're vulnerable. If you're not upkeeping the house, if you're not taking care of your soul, if you're not tending to it, you're vulnerable to what Paul lays out here for us. You're vulnerable to deception. You will backslide. You'll fall away. You'll get duped. And what's our attitude sometimes when we hear something like this? Is a lot of people, sadly, they get saved, and then what happens? There's no growth, there's no change. They just re- maintain the status quo. Well, is that walking with Jesus? It's not. So the attitude sometimes, and we can be guilty of it ourselves, is that it's my way. I'm following Jesus as long as I agree with what he says. And more professing Christians, there's more professing Christians that believe that than than I think we realize. Because what we're seeing and what we see is when any issue that becomes a huge issue in the culture and it goes against the word, these, these Christians will use that as an excuse to please their own flesh. I remember um, we just got back from our trip to Belize, and I had the privilege years ago of leading different churches on their um, mission trips with Praying Pelican Mission Organization. And some of the people that I've worked with, some of the youth that I helped, some of the churches even that I've ministered to, you know, and then you become friends with them on Facebook, and you get to see, you get to see um, their their journey, their walk with the Lord, so to speak. And some of them now it's been 11 years, and what's happened? They've loved the world more than they've loved Jesus. Some of them, and they loved sex more than they loved Jesus, and they loved choosing their identity more than the identity that Christ says that they are. And now they go to a church that says all that is fine. A false church. And let me just add as a side note, there are some people that uh, are same-sex attracted and, and they know that's not from the Lord. They know that's not from God. And what do they do? They fight against it. And they stand firm. And if that's you, like, keep fighting. Keep fighting. And there's some people, <clears throat> they have questions about their gender, but they know they know who God has made them to be. Even if they're not sure, they know. And they're trying to stand on the Word of God. Brother or sister, if that's you, keep standing firm. The world is going to throw all sorts of stuff. Don't, don't let this verse 8 become true of you where you get taken captive by philosophy and empty deceit because that's what the world's throwing at you. Okay, worldly philosophy and empty deceit. Remember, it's not our way. It's not our way. It's Jesus' way. What, what did he say in John 14, right? I am what? The way. The way. The way. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So, so whose way is it? Jesus, Jesus right? So, I mean, that, you could actually translate that. It would sound a little bit different, but you could translate it road. But here we are talking about walking with Jesus. Well, you're going to walk in the road. You're going to walk in the way, right? We're walking in the way what? Of Christ, who is the way. He is the truth. So when, when we're not sure about something, where do we look? We look to Jesus. We look to see what he has to say. So it's his way. And nowhere in Scripture... Do we get the idea that, that we set our own course, right? How can you set your own course if you're walking with him? Verse 6, so walk in him. So who's walking with whom? I mean, are we walking with Jesus? Is he setting the course? Is he setting the path? Yeah, but sometimes what do we want to do? We want to flip that. And again, we want to set the path. We want to set the way. And and we want Jesus to follow after us. That is not the way it goes. John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears what? Much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. So we need Jesus. And the imagery here in John 15 is we're with him. We're with him. So we need to guard against the things that plague our hearts at times. We have to guard against our own hearts at times. Because what do we do? We wanna say it's about what we want. When we want it, how we want it, wherever we want it. Brothers and sisters, we, we can't treat Jesus like he's just like an optional menu item. We need him every single day, every single moment, every single hour. And we want to get real with him and lay it all down for him. Okay. He laid it all out for you. Sacrifice his own life for you so that you could be forgiven and made right with the father. So you're either a slave of sin or you're a slave of righteousness. You're either a slave to the devil or you're a slave for Jesus. You got to choose a master You have a master right you can translate it master we usually translate it lord but you got to choose a master and what we've been seeing is is that that jesus is lord so what does it look like well we're told right here what walking with him looks like look at these words that are used rooted verse 7 rooted and built up in in him and established in the faith so if someone said that person is grounded in their faith Boy, wouldn't you like that to be said about you? But if someone said that person is grounded in their faith, what would that indicate? That they're walking well, right? And if someone said that person is established in their faith, what would that indicate? They're strong. They're a strong believer. And if someone said that person is built up in their faith, what would that indicate? That God's doing a work in them and he's still doing it. So one question we should ask ourselves, or a series of questions is am I rooted in the faith? Am I built up in the faith? Am I established in the faith? But the other set of questions we should ask is this. If we are rooted and built up and established, how can I become more rooted? How can I become more built up? How can I become more established? The root yourself, this imagery here is is the idea of, of plant life. The shepherd's tree, which is native to the Kalahari Desert in southern Africa, it has the deepest documented roots, going more than 70 meters deep, about 230 feet roughly. That's deep. That's rooted. Look at Psalm 1. Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. And then look what it says in verse 3. Look at the comparison. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. So I mean, that's the imagery. So on the one hand, you have this tree that the roots go 70 meters deep. And then on the other hand, you have something like a tumbleweed. You ever seen, you know, the Western movies, it's like, I was always like, what's up with that? Like they just roll around all the time? Well, yeah, actually they do if you're familiar with tumbleweeds. <clears throat> the root, it just has a single root. It's rather narrow. And it, what does it do? It turns brittle with age. So that single little root is the only thing that's keeping it in the ground. And then the winds come if we had tumbleweeds around here we would have seen them all blown around yesterday with that storm coming through they all would have been torn out of their out of the ground but their limited root structure it results in a short life no the shepherd's tree 70 meters deep so we want to be like that tree that's putting the deep roots down firm going down being strong go for the nutrients second He says, be built up in Christ. That's the imagery of of buildings. The idea being a firm and strong foundation. You know how deep the foundation of the Empire State Building is? 55 feet, 8 inches. That's being built up in Christ. That's a firm foundation. And then it says, established in Christ. Again, the idea being firm or solidly grounded. And it really summarizes what the first two are doing. If you're rooted and you're built up, then you will be established. And this is the process. Now, these are, these are participles here. And they're passive, meaning that really God is the one who's doing the rooting and the building up and the establishing. He is the one that does it. And the idea... Uh, because of the present tense, is that it's an ongoing work. And God's, God's working on us, right? Every single day. Sometimes easily, sometimes painfully, but He's working on us. So who ultimately roots us and builds us up and establishes us? Yeah, God. He's the one that's doing it. But, but what do these things accomplish? Well, one, it makes us a benefit to, to other brothers and sisters, Okay, when we're built up and strengthened and we have a firm foundation, I mean, we're in a better place to minister to others too. It brings great glory to God as we become conformed to the image of His Son. But it also guards us against things like being taken captive. So that's why he, it leads us from rooted, built up, and established. And then, eight, we get our next command see to it. That's a command. See to it that no one takes you captive by the philosophy and empty deceit. Well, guess what? We're in a much better position to make sure that we're not taken captive when we are rooted and built up and established. All along, the Lord is doing this. And Here's the thing. I, I had a disciple, Tim Ward. Some of you know him. One of the things that he emphasized over and over and over again was making sure you never, you never overlook the basic Christian truths of the Christian life. And encourage people repeatedly to get back to the basics. Get back to the basics. There's definitely a place for uh, studies of all sorts of different things. But I, I've seen it happen before. People fall in love with the academic side. Now, there's nothing wrong with the academic side of Christianity, but they fall in love with the academics themselves. And they end up falling more in love with the academics than with Jesus. And that's not good. And the academics uh, become an idol, so to speak. So they love learning and reading about things and growing in the head knowledge, but they're not tending to the heart. They're not tending to the heart. So, yes, love the the deep study. I'm totally there. But make sure that you're loving the one that allows you to do the deep study, the one that enlightens your mind to even have the deep study in the first place. And so oftentimes, those people are are five layers deep, and they've forgotten the basics of the Christian life, the basic Christian truths. And so... Yes, we need to ask the Lord for hearts and minds that are bigger, each one of us. Because when we can do that, it is true, we can hold more of Christ. And, and academics, when properly pursued, will deepen your love for Jesus. As you see the, the vast doctrines of God, the incarnation, reconciliation, adoption, regeneration, I mean, you could study them for a thousand years, literally, and only scratch the surface. So yes, part of what we need to do is ask the Lord for our hearts and minds that are bigger. But not just minds, hearts and minds. Not just head knowledge, but but also heart knowledge. And here's the thing. When our hearts start to become cold at times, when we start to backslide, when when we start to have issues, the problem is never Jesus. It's us. And it's not that Jesus isn't big enough. It's that we've made him too small in our eyes. And we've leaned on the wisdom of men. And and when we do that, instead of having a faith that is like a well-fortified building, we have a a little shanty that gets knocked over when the lightest, littlest breeze comes along. So what are we wanting? Well, look at Ephesians 3. We can see a, a prayer by Paul here in Ephesians 3. In verse 14, Ephesians 3, he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. So he, I mean, he's going to he's pray for the Ephesians. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen. Much similarities in the first part there with the Colossian passage that we're looking at. Notice in verse 17, rooted and grounded. What's the rooting and grounding? In love, the love of God. For what reason? That they may have strength, strength to comprehend with all the saints and what are they trying to comprehend what are they truly trying to understand not five levels deep of some uh esoteric meaning of genesis no what are they trying to understand what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of christ basically to know the true character of god the height the breadth the length the depth to really know god and to know him fully a lifelong pursuit for each one of us. So what does Christ want? He wants it all. He wants it all. There's there's a billboard right at seventy and Brian. Have y'all seen it? Y'all seen the billboard at Brian and Seventy? What does it say? Christ is Lord. We had someone in our church, uh, Canon Press, conservative um, publication, Canon Press came out and said, um, if you buy X number of copies of Doug Wilson's new book, uh, then we'll put up a billboard in whatever zip code you want. And so that member came to us and like, hey, I'd like to do that, are you guys okay with that? Which I appreciated him doing. And we were like, yeah, choose 63366. <laughs> <laughs> And get it as close to the church as you can. Boom, right there. Very cool, right? So everyone, I don't know how many cars you could probably Google it and look it up, but tens of thousands of cars traveling west at Brian and 70. Christ is Lord. And then there's a website, ChristisLord.com, you can check it out. Look at Acts 10 briefly. Verse 34, Acts 10. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. So Jesus, Jesus is Lord of all. Right? He's Lord of all. So that means he's Lord of the heavens. Yes? And he's Lord of the earth. And he's Lord of the physical realm. And he's Lord of the angels. And he's Lord of the demons. And he's Lord of the spiritual realm. So this is, exactly, this is exactly what Colossians is driving at. As you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord. You've received him as the Lord. And then to make sure there's no doubt, Paul says in Colossians just a couple verses later, we read it, for in him, verse 9, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Christ is Lord. Not Caesar. Not Buddha. Not Muhammad. Jesus. And Jesus alone. He is the Lord. And so I've said it before. Okay, let me just back up a second. Notice one thing. In verse 10. So, verse 9, In him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Verse 10, And you have been filled in him who is the head... What's the, the head of? All rule, all rule and authority. Does, it, does your version say some rule and authority? No. no. All rule and authority. Well, how much rule is that? All. all. So it's all rule and authority. Now, you could translate the authority there, you could translate that power, and some versions do. All power. Okay, that's why he is the Lord of the heavens. And that's why he is the Lord of the earth and he is the Lord of the physical realm and he is the Lord of the angels and he is the Lord of the demons and he is the Lord of all. Okay? Not just a subset, not just part of it. No, he's Lord of all. And that's what that billboard's proclaiming. Christ is Lord. I've said it before. I'm going to keep saying it because the Lord keeps telling me to say it. But, But here's the thing, brothers and sisters. If Jesus is your Lord, then what he says goes. And so, yeah, you're fighting uh, against some temptation or you're being tempted to something. What he says goes. So you submit to him and you say no to that temptation. He's given you the strength to say no to it. You give in, that's on you. You give in, that's on you. But he's given you the strength to resist. You might choose not to tap into that strength. You might choose to deny it. You might choose to feed the flesh. But he's strength. I mean, we just read it in Ephesians and we've read it in Colossians. He's strengthened you. To say no. So if Jesus is your Lord, then what he says goes. And if Jesus is your Lord, then you love what he loves. Now, examine your lives on this one. You love what he loves. Because my guess would be, true of me too, there's areas, there's things that Jesus loves that you're probably not quite loving. I'm not just talking about sin versus versus righteousness. Obviously, that's pretty clear. But I'm talking about things that we can see the heart of God on that we're supposed to be a part of, that we're supposed to be partnering with. We love what Jesus loves, and then if Jesus is your Lord, then then you do what He asks. I mean, I mean, it's, it's simple to say, but it can be challenging at times to walk out. And, and if the above isn't true of you, if, if, that, if we looked at your life and, and the characteristic that was not characteristic of your life, then guess what? Then he isn't your Lord. Now, he is the Lord, but he's not your Lord. Look at Matthew 7, so you can all see it. You've probably heard it many times before, but I want each of you to see it for yourselves. Matthew 7. Verse 21, Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, So there's a sense, Jesus is really hitting on two two aspects here. There's a sense where people can claim Jesus, and then they never do his will. And then there's others who have a false profession. They might do the works, and they think the works, it's external, but there's nothing internal. Listen, it's got to be internal. There has to be an internal change by the Holy Spirit in your life. He has to come in and regenerate your soul. Apart from the work of God in your life, we're all without hope completely and entirely. So yes, he is my Lord, you might say. Then guess what? Verse 21, we have to walk it out. We have to do the will of the Father. And, and let me just look at what has been laid out so far for us in Colossians. I mean, like this giant spotlight. You ever see those spotlights? You don't see them anymore. I saw them much when I was younger. But these spotlights, you know, flashing in the sky. And uh, for whatever reason, when I was with my dad, sometimes we'd like go and, you know, hunt down where the spotlight was coming from It was kind of fun <clears throat> but you can see the spotlight for like miles and miles and miles away well i mean that's what paul has done here in the first chapter is he's put a giant spotlight on the person of jesus christ and he has shown us that he's ruler of both the old creation this fallen world and the new creation the people that he regenerates his coming kingdom he's ruler of both old creation new creation and we've seen that he's the substance of the mystery, the mystery that's been hidden for ages, and now we know what the mystery is. Jesus. Jesus, we're, we're privileged to live in, in these times, on, on, the, on the end side of history, as, as the consummation is drawing to a close. And we get to see what the mystery is. We see it very clearly. The Old Testament prophets, they, they prophesied about it, and they're looking forward to it. Even Abraham, it says, was, he was looking forward to it. We get the privilege of looking back. We don't have any excuse. So he's the substance of the mystery and then he has all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All the treasures. All the treasures. So this is our Jesus. He's pretty amazing. He's he's pretty beautiful. And this is the one that you've believed in. The one... Who is the ruler of both the old creation and the new creation? The one that says in verse 10 that he has all power and authority. That's our Jesus. So, whatever we're we're dealing with, well, guess what? We have the ruler of heaven and earth right by us. We have the king of kings right by us. We have the lord of lords who is right there with us. What's he doing? He's leading the way. What are we doing? We're following. Step by step, we're following. That means if, if this is all true, and it is, if this is all true and you believe it, guess what? Then then we forsake everything else. To follow Jesus. We cast it all down to follow him. Whatever's entangling us, Hebrews talks about, what do we do? Cast it aside. We get rid of it. Why? Because it, it interrupts the preciousness of your relationship and your enjoyment of your relationship with Jesus. And it's not worth it. Yes. It does damage to the kingdom. Now, we're supposed to build up the kingdom. So, what are we doing? We're walking with the ruler of heaven and earth, we're walking with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That means, yes, initially at salvation, you repented of your sins, you trusted in Christ but it's also walking it out, walking it out, truly walking it out. So you're having what, what uh, John the Baptist calls the fruits of repentance. What Paul talks about in Acts, the fruits of repentance. Well, what, what are the fruits of repentance? Well, it's, it's someone's repented, then you're going to see it visibly in their life. You're going to see it by their actions, their words. You're going to see it. You're going to know. Why? Well, yes, initial salvation, but now you're being conformed to the image of the Son. And Jesus is with you every single step. Every single step. Good days, bad days. I mean, I had a horrible day last week. It was awful. I had to apologize to my kids. It wasn't a good day. And even, even in the midst of that bad day, when I was having just a horrible day, I'm, I'm like still talking with the Lord and walking in repentance. Uh, and he's gracious in the midst of that. Very gracious. Thankfully he's in charge of all that and he is very gracious to us even in the midst of some of our stupidity at times. He's there and he's very gracious. So yes, he's he's the Lord of heaven and earth. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But he is a very sweet savior. And so, yes, He is very much high and above us and awesome and we might not ever come close but in a very other real sense he is very here right next to us right now. The transcendence of Jesus of how powerful and awesome and amazing but also the eminence. And he's very clear. Lo, I will never depart from you, he says. I am with you always to the end of the ages and praise God he's with us right now. So let's Walk in him. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we do thank you that you are with us, that you are a sweet Savior. We thank you that all authority and power has been given to you. We thank you that by your sacrifice we are forgiven of our sins and that anyone any person can repent and believe and Jesus I pray for people here who are resisting temptation who are resisting sin who are saying no to it I pray you'd bless them I pray you'd have them continue to put their hand to the plow and not look back Forsake, just like Moses, forsake the riches of Egypt because he knew something better lay in store. May they do that as well. And Lord, I pray for any brothers or sisters here who aren't where they need to be with you, that they'd get right right now and come before you, repent of those sins. You'd cleanse them and restore the sweetness of their fellowship. And Jesus, I pray that you would continue to strengthen each one of us, continue to do what it says here, to, to keep us rooted, and keep building us, and keep us established, and make those roots go deeper, The foundation gets stronger by your power and strength. Let us hear your words and receive them and respond in faith. We thank you that you are our Lord and we love you. Amen.